you for who you are. Jesus, we just give you praise and honor and glory. We thank you for who you are. We're just going to turn our attention to Jesus, but I want to, I want to read something because I think sometimes we forget. Anybody in here forgetful? Sometimes I walk out of the house, I'm like, do we have all our kids? What am I forgetting? So I want to read this just to remind us why we turn our attention, attention to Jesus, what we're, what we're doing as we worship him. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly portal open before me. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, ascend into this realm. I wanted to reveal to you what must happen. And instantly I was taken into the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place, and someone seated upon it. Pay attention. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light like an emerald rainbow. And encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders in glistening white garments, seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory, And pulsing from the throne was blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder, and voices. And burning before the throne are seven blazing torches, which represent the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was pavement like a crystal sea of glass. Around the throne and on each side stood four living creatures full of eyes, in front and behind the The first living creature resembled a lion, the second an ox, and the third a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. And each of the four living creatures had wax wings, or sorry, six wings, full of eyes all around, and under their wings they worshipped without ceasing day and night, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the was, the is, and the is coming. And I saw the one seated on the throne was holding. So I'm just going to skip down a little bit. And then an angel cried out and said, who is worthy to open the scroll? And I saw the young lamb approach the throne and receive the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. 
And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb had taken the scroll and they fell face down at the feet of the lamb and worshipped him. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the lamb because you were slaughtered for us. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God. Out of every tribe, language, people, group, and nation, you have chosen to serve, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Just turn your attention to him. Jesus, you're so worthy. You're worthy of all our praise, of all our attention. Just give him thanks this morning. Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you you were slaughtered for us. Your blood was the price that was paid to redeem us, to rescue us. Jesus, we give you thanks and we give you praise. And you purchased us, you brought us back to God. We give you thanks and we give you praise. Jesus, there's no one like you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I sometimes as we come before God, We've talked a lot over the last couple of months about what it looks like to draw near to Jesus. What it means to be in his presence, to, to, to actually live there and stay there and not to leave. And if you've spent any amount of time in church, you've probably heard a, a message on growth or going deeper. or You've probably heard a whole host of different messages. If this is your first time in church, maybe you've heard a whole bunch of messages, but they haven't been from church. Maybe they've been from friends or colleagues. Well, if you would just do this, if you would just try that, your life would be so much better. Right? I just, just found this new diet routine. If you guys would all get on it, life would be so much better. Or I just found this new, you know, um, TED Talk, and if you guys just heard it, oh, your life would change I just bought these new shoes, and if you guys all had these shoes, oh, it's like walking on clouds all the time. Right? We do it with so many different things. And, and our gospel 
then becomes, well, well, let me tell you about all these different things that I do that work for me. Right? We, it, it's about everyone has their, their, their bent on what we need to do for our lives to be better. You know, if we would all just convert away from cotton and only wear spandex, nobody's life would be better. Let's not do that. <laughs> but what bugs me is that we do this in the church. We're like, well, if we would just all get on the Daniel fast and eat like Daniel, our lives would be so much better. Right? If we would just worship like David, or if we could just get it together, come on. Worship like David. If we would pray like Elijah. We have all these things that we think are going to take us deeper in our spirituality. Deeper in our relationship with Jesus. If we would just fast more. If we could just understand revelations, if we would understand the nature of angels and demons, we would be so much more mature spiritually. If we would just tithe more. You know, if we would just figure out what this all looks like in, in, in regards to finances. If we, would, if we would just understand this concept or that concept. This way of serving or that way of serving. But what bugs me about that is that it's not centered on Jesus. And if your life is not centered on Jesus, if you're preaching any gospel that's not centered on Jesus, it's a false gospel. It's false good news. So how do we know? How do we know? It's actually very simple. How do we know if, if what we're believing is actually centered on Jesus? Well, how you know is if you take Jesus out of it and you're still pretty much the same. If you can, if you can remove Jesus from your life and your life doesn't change much, your life's not centered on Jesus. And when we look at our lives, sometimes that hurts. Like, well, if I remove Jesus from this area, it'll probably be about the same. Ouch. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just started his ministry. He's been baptized, he's been in the desert, tempted by Satan. And he decides he's going to go back to his hometown. And so on Shabbat, on Saturday, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads this passage from Isaiah. This is what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind. And to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has, become, has begun. 
What incredible news. And so he stands up and he reads this passage in front of everyone in the synagogue. And then he sits down and he says, what you've just heard today has been fulfilled in front of you. And he says the people are in awe. They can't believe the authority that he speaks in. They can't believe how, who he is, that, that he would speak like that. And then somebody pipes up and they're like, hey, aren't you Joseph's son? Didn't you grow up here with us? We know you. What do you think you're doing putting on this act? And, and, and in a second, the room goes from this awe to everyone saying, well, in, basically in other words, we know who you are. We know all about you. You grew up with us. We saw you and you were in diapers. We saw you as a toddler. And what, now you think you're a prophet or something? Something important? And so what they did is, is they went and they actually mobbed Jesus and they dragged him out of the city and they hauled him up to the edge of a cliff that the city was built on and they were about to throw him off the cliff. These people were so upset. They had gone from awe in what Jesus had just said to familiarity. And they were ready to throw Messiah off a cliff. They had experience with Jesus. They had grown up with him. They had spent time with him. And they couldn't reconcile the new that he was bringing with their experience of him. Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 5. He says, new wine must always be poured into a new wineskin. And yet you say the old is better and you refuse to even taste what I bring. Jesus had just stood up among them in his hometown and prophesied what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do among them. What the future would hold for them. And yet their familiarity with him caused them to miss what he wanted to do. Their experience with him in the past affected what they actually got to see him do among them. In another passage, it actually says when he went into Nazareth, he couldn't do any great miracles except for heal a few sick people. This is what we're getting at this morning. That we inoculate ourselves to all that God wants to do in our lives because we're content with what he did at first. We tend to come and we taste of Jesus. We're like, oh yeah, that's so good. And then we just stop. (coughs) Excuse me. We taste and stop, not taste and see. And so we, we, we have a little bit of a, ta- of a taste of who Jesus is or a little bit of a taste of who the Holy Spirit is. Maybe this morning you've had an encounter with Jesus sometime in your life. 
and the last number of weeks or years, it's been about how do I get back to what he did? Because we tend to make, take our experience, instead of taking our testimony of what God has done and declaring that until we see what he wants to do, we take our experience and we allow that to limit his work in our lives. It's this, this mindset of the good old days. Right? If we could just get back to when we were at this conference or that seminar, if we could just go back to when this ministry was running or that ministry was running, oh, it would just be a dream. But Jesus didn't give you that encounter so that you could just try and replicate it all your life. An encounter with Jesus is always meant to draw you deeper in to who he is. When you meet with Jesus, when, when you first came to Jesus, maybe you had an encounter at that point. That encounter was meant to draw you deeper, not sustain you for the rest of your life. What happened was amazing. It was incredible. And it was for that time, and it was meant to draw you deeper. That was never meant to be the sum and total of your faith walk. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Or actually, sorry, Hebrews chapter 5. I just want to reread this. We read this at the beginning of the service. It says, starting at verse 14 of chapter 4, it says, So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true, for we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we must come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Our experience is meant to draw us near to who God is. It's meant to pique your interest, to make you hungry so that you keep going after who he is, what he's saying, what he's prophesied. The, the Hebrew word, or sorry, the Greek word there, where it talks about freely and boldly, some translations say confidently. And it means a freedom in speaking, unreserved, unreservedness in speech, openly, frankly, without concealment without ambiguity or circumlocation, without the use of figures or comparison, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, assurance. And 
And I wonder, does that define how we approach Jesus? Do we approach Jesus from the the perspective that we actually are free to speak our mind before him? That he's actually inviting us to draw near. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest was chosen from among the people and appointed to represent them before God by presenting their gifts to God and offering sacrifices on their behalf. Since the high priest is also one who is clothed in weakness, he humbles himself by showing compassion to those who are ignorant of God's ways and strays from them. For this reason, he was not only present, uh, he has to not only present the sin offering for, of others, but also to bring sin offering for himself. And no one takes this honor upon himself by being self-appointed, but God is the one who calls each one, just as Aaron was called. So also Christ was not self-appointed, it did not glorify himself by becoming a high priest, but God called him and glorified him. For the Father said to him, you are my favored son, today I have fathered you. In another scripture, he says about the new priestly order, you are a priest like Melchizedek, a a king priest forever. See, we don't understand this, this concept of priesthood. Essentially, in the Old Covenant, the priest, the high priest was over the priest, and he would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement, and he would make sacrifices for the people. To absolve their sin. He was the only one who was allowed into the most holy place. And only once a year. But Hebrews is saying, the author of Hebrews is saying, now we have someone so much greater who is our high priest. Someone who stands, who, who, who is, can be in the presence of God and not just be there, but invites us to follow his example and walk into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of Jesus. We have Jesus who took upon himself every mistake, every wrongdoing, every sin that, we, that I committed, that you committed, that we committed as a humanity, so that we could walk in before God confidently and boldly. It's not about what you've done to get there. It's about what he did. And yet so often we encounter that Jesus and we're like, all right, that's great. We met Jesus. Now let's go and discover revelations. Right? Let's go learn about heaven. Let's go learn about angels. Let's go learn about demons. Let's go learn about fasting. And we divert. Right? We start off with Jesus and then we divert onto some secondary sidetrack. We start off with Jesus, and then before we know it, we're over here, right, telling everybody about our new gospel. This Jesus who took upon himself everything to be our king and our priest, who models... See, it says that, it says that God was... 
gentle with those who are ignorant. But he's also standing there. Jesus is standing there as an example of what it looks like to minister to God, to the heart of the Father. And he's inviting us to draw near, to come into that place. How? Timidly and afraid? Boldly and with confidence. Unreserved. Some of you all, when you pray, there's a little Texan that came out of me. (laughs) Some of you people, guys, ladies, some of you all, when you pray, you come before God and you're like, oh God, if, if you hear me, please answer my prayer. If it's your will, maybe, could you? And yet Jesus is saying, this isn't, this isn't just a recommendation. He's saying, come boldly, draw near confidently. Why? Because you have a king priest who is standing before God, making provision for you to be there. It matters so much that we come and draw near because as I draw near, I actually get to behold who God is. When I do this thing where I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, spiritual maturity, if... Somehow we've understood that spiritual maturity is like the more you know. And so we, it's like we, we, we strive for knowing more. And, and if I could just know what these things mean, if I could just hear it again, if I could just experience it again, if I could go back to that you know, first moment where I encountered Jesus and, and, and evaluate it and break it down and, and then replicate it and make it happen over and over again. But we need to draw near because as I draw near, I see who he is. And as I see who he is, I become like him. See, our spiritual maturity isn't about how much you know. It's about obedience that leads us to looking like Jesus. It's not a matter of time. You may have been a believer for, or a follower of Jesus for a hundred years. But if, if obedience is not a part of your routine. And obedience that leads you to looking like Jesus is not valuable to you, then you're just as immature as when you started. Verse 7 says, During Christ's days on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with passion and with tearful agony that God would spare him from death. And because of his perfect devotion, his prayer was answered and he was delivered. But even though he was a wonderful son, he learned to listen and obey through all his sufferings. Do you realize this? That Jesus came as fully God and fully man. And yet he surrendered himself to learn obedience. To learn how to listen and obey. To God. Jesus, who is God, came to earth, and it says, through his suffering, learned obedience. He learned how to listen. 
And after being proven perfect in this way, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to all those who listen to him and obey. So Jesus came and he sets this perfect example of what it looks like to listen and obey. So we don't like this term obedience, right? So anybody in here is like, oh, I just love obedience. Jesus, I want to be more obedient. No, we're like, Jesus, I want to be bold. I want to be on fire. I want to learn how to pray with, with, with courage. Right? I want to, I want to see souls won. But how often is our prayer, Jesus, I want to be obedient? Just say it and I'll do it. Like, no, that scares me. Most of the time our prayer is more like, Jesus, say it and, and I'll think about it. Right? I'll weigh my options. And yet the author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, he has now become the source of eternal salvation to who? To all those who listen and obey. Church, obedience is not optional when it comes to following Jesus. Obedience is not optional in life. Obedience is actually so valuable to God that Jesus came down, modeled perfect obedience. So that he could be the source of eternal salvation for all those who listen and obey. See, we've allowed our experience to put this doubt in our lives. Maybe it's, you know, we've prayed for something and we didn't see it happen the way we thought it should. And so now Jesus is like, I want you to go pray for that person. You're like, ah, what if they get worse? What if they, they don't want me to pray for them? What if they, we go through all the what ifs, right? Based on our experience, instead of saying, yes, Jesus, of course, I want to go and I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to. And so we, we weigh it back and forth. And we're like, uh, Jesus, you know, I think maybe it's a better idea if I just stay home and watch Netflix. And he's like, I want you to go and, and, and love on your neighbor. I want you to invite them for dinner. Uh, that's a lot of work. Maybe I should just stay home and just cook for myself, you know? Self-care day. See, we have to understand that doubt and, and obedience, they can't live in the same house. When I choose to partner with doubt, it will always undercut my obedience. But when I choose to partner with obedience, I will see God's faithfulness and it will kill my doubt. And the author of Hebrews continues, and they say, we have much to say about this topic, although it's difficult to explain because you've become too dull and sluggish to understand. Ouch. I've heard that, I'm like, ow, oh, we can't say that. So I look for a different translation. This is what it says in, in uh, I think it's the NLT. 
says you have made a habit. Of not listening. It's either NLT or the message. It says you have made a habit of not listening. I want to take you deeper, the author says. I want to, I want to show you more about who Jesus is and how this relates to you. Him being king and priest. Him being the high priest before God on your behalf. But I can't go deeper because you have a habit of not listening. And I was thinking about that, and, and then the, the author continues. He says, For you should already be professors instructing others by now, but instead you need to be taught from the beginning the basics of God's prophetic oracles. You're like children still needing milk and not ready to digest solid food. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature whose spiritual senses perceive heavenly matters. And they have been adequately trained by what they've experienced to emerge with understanding of the difference between what is truly excellent and what is evil and harmful. Now is the time for us to progress beyond the basic message of Christ and advance into perfection. The foundation has already been laid for us to build upon, turning away from our dead works to embrace faith in God. Teaching about different baptisms, impartations of the laying of hands, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. So with God's enablement, we will move on to deeper truths. See, all these things that he outlines, repentance, faith in God, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection, judgment, heaven and hell, they're not bad things. He's not saying we're not going to talk about those. He's saying those are elementary That's kingdom kindergarten. You need those. If you're going to learn the alphabet, you've got to go through kindergarten. But we're not supposed to keep going back to those. Oh, I just need to hear another teaching on that. Oh, we just need to hear another teaching on that. Going back to an experience, an encounter that you had at one time. Essentially, what he's saying is you have tasted just the tip, the very edge of who Jesus is. It's like an iceberg. You've, you've, you've just seen the very edge. Now let's go deeper. Deeper into what? Deeper into Jesus. Let's continue to draw near to him over and over and over. Let's continue to be moved not in, in just head knowledge, although that's important. but to be moved to become like Jesus. We need to start building habits. Building habits that that draw us close to who Jesus is. Building habits so that we can do what we don't what we want to do even when we don't want to do it. Levi Lusco, in his book, I Declare War, has the following quote. It says, The habits you allow in your life today determine who you become tomorrow. 
See, it's time as a church that we build habits to listen and obey. When Jesus says, be holy because I am holy, it's not just a suggestion. When he says, love your neighbor, it's not like, well, if you want, here's a possibility for your life. Right? If, if we want relationship with Jesus, it looks like following his example and becoming like him. When he says, think about what's pure. When he says, don't stop meeting together. Turn the other cheek. Instead of turning it into, conceptualizing it and turning it into a philosophy. What if we actually just did it? I know, revolutionary idea. Where because Jesus set that example, we choose to listen and to obey. See, the thing is, as an adult, I do a lot of things that I don't want to do. Nobody likes paying bills, right? Maybe some of you do. I've got lots that you can pay. But as a child, you only do what you want to do. Right? If I ask my son, can you go sweep the floor? He's like, well, I don't want to. I'm like, I didn't ask if you wanted to. I just asked you to clean the floor. Right? And a sign of maturity is being able to do what you want to do even when you don't want to do it. So we need to, in our own lives, build habits. Make it a habit of listening and obeying. Not out of just a need to to do something, because then it's just dead works. But where we listen and obey out of drawing near to Jesus. We draw near to the throne. And because I'm near, because I see who he is and I'm becoming like him, and he set that perfect example of listening, obeying. My choice is listen and obey. If we want to be people who look like Jesus, we need to build habits that draw us into knowing him. We inoculate ourselves to all God wants to do in our lives. Because we are content with what he did at first. Let him draw you deeper. Spiritual maturity is decided by our obedience until we look like Jesus. If we want to avoid becoming uh, sluggish and dull, we go deeper into Jesus. If we want to grow in our spirituality, we go deeper into Jesus. If we want to develop an understanding, if we want to develop wisdom, hope, love, we go deeper into Jesus. The spiritually mature are the ones who look like Jesus, who talk like Jesus, who act like Jesus, even when they don't want to. Or sorry, even when they don't feel like it. Because they've made a habit out of 
obedience instead of doubt. I want to end with this. Verse 7 in the message translation. It says, God helping us will stay true to all that. But there is so much more. Let's get on with it. As we close, the comfortable thing for me to do would be, anyone who wants to be more obedient, stand up and we're going to pray for you. And... But I think we do that too often. Not prayer. I'm not saying we do prayer too often. We can always use more prayer. I'm saying we do this cycle where we get prayer and then we stay comfortable and then we get prayer and then we stay comfortable and we get prayer and we stay comfortable. So this is my challenge for the week for you. Listen to Jesus and obey what he's saying. If you really want to take hold of that, this message this week, put that into practice. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your perfect model of listening and obedience. We thank you for your grace when we fail. and your encouragement to get on with it. And we just want to draw deeper and nearer to who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.